Well, this is my this is my 11:02 alarm going off to say it's time to pray for uh, people who you want to invite to Alpha. So uh, it's, a, it's good timing, and um, isn't it amazing? We have a great opportunity to uh, be intentionally praying for the people that we love, the people that we know, who just need to hear about Jesus, who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And there are so many people who are asking questions. So many people who have that, that nagging inside of them, and maybe that's one of you here today. You've got like, something inside of you that just says there's more to life than this. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you want to know more about God. Maybe you, or maybe you know someone who's asking you these questions at work or in your family. We believe that Alpha is a great place for you to come. In a, it's a safe space. You're going to get some free food. You're going to have a free drink. You've got to hang out with me. And... But most importantly, you get to encounter Jesus. And it's a safe space where people are going to come and have their lives changed. You know, Alpha has been running for years. It's seen thousands of people come to know Jesus. And we're excited to be running it in our community. Starting this Wednesday at Ashington Village Club, 7.30. Everyone is welcome. It's totally free. We would love for you to be praying for friends and family who don't know Jesus. To come. Set an alarm on your phone, just like I've done, 11.02 every day, and pray for them. Invite them. Just like the, the film said, the best way that people get to know about Jesus is through invitation. It's through a friend saying, I want to tell you some good news. Come along and find out. So let's just pray for this. Let's pray for this now, shall we? Father, we just lift up all those people who we know who are asking questions, who have um, this nagging in their heart that there's something more. Father, would you give us an opportunity to be bold, to ask the question, to invite our friends. Not that there's a magic formula, but we want to create an opportunity for them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And we want to uh, give them an opportunity for an encounter with your Holy Spirit. And we believe that one of those opportunities will be at Alpha. So Lord, give us boldness, give us courage, and would you soften hearts of those people who we want to invite? Would you free up space in their diaries? Would you give them permission from spouses to go? Father, come and have your way and let us see our parish transformed for your goodness. Amen. If you're interested about Alpha, come and see me outside in the blue tent in the rain at the end of the service. Amazing. Thanks, Nick. All right. Can I invite you all to stand if you're able to? I just want to invite you right now to just shake off, <laughs> shake off the things of this week, <laughs> shake off the mindsets, shake off the cold, <laughs> shake off all the things that are stopping you right now from feeling his peace, his love, his joy. And I just want to invite you all now to just close your eyes. Imagine the rain coming down and falling on you straight from heaven. And when you look up through the glistening of the rain, you see his piercing eyes. You see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see your Heavenly Father. Oh, thank you. 
and this rain from heaven, it's, it's, it's like his glory coming down. <laughs> and when his glory falls, things happen, things change. The old is made new. The dry things come alive. Fixing our gaze upon yours. <laughs> we just say our hearts right now are yours. Our minds right now are yours. Our bodies right now are yours. We love you. May our praise, may our songs that we're about to sing just join in with heaven's melody, which is already happening. <laughs> Can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you taste it and smell it? <laughs> yeah, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
let us not lose this. Keep this, <laughs> that fire in our belly and our heart in our mind. And as we sit and as we listen and as we learn, that may your spirit continue to minister to us. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you that you love us. And Father, we, we want to thank you that when we step out in your name, you protect us by the blood of Jesus. And so we just want to speak your protection over their households, over the whole church, as we push on and seek you, Lord. Father, we just want to pray that you give them vision from heaven, that you drop revelation, that you'd show them each and every step of the way, how you're leading, what you're doing, Holy Spirit, how you're working, Father, and how they can join in and participate in what you're doing. So bless them, we pray. Vision from heaven. And Father, I just want to pray that you give them such righteousness, personally and in the communities. You give them such peace, which passes all understanding. And you fill them with joy, joy, joy. That this would be a joy to their heart. That they would, they would see so many with a faint spirit erupt with the oil of gladness as they come into your presence through these in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Now just grab someone next to you, turn to them, introduce yourself if you haven't got a friend. And I want you to place a hand on each other's shoulder. And what I want you to do, hang on a minute, we're going to stay in prayer. We're going to stay in prayer. Okay, everybody. I want you to stay in prayer for a moment. And I want you to bless the other person to be an incredible member of a KFC. And this is, this is both the challenge and the invitation to give of ourselves under their leadership, to not hold back gifts, our hearts, or anything, to really give to the Lord as, they, as these guys lead us, to discover and be brave enough to step into the new that God has for us, and to be open for all the Holy Spirit has. So just bless the other person with that for a minute. Just whatever stuck out to you. Lord, would you... Father, would you just bless uh, my brother and my sister and I'm praying with, just would you position them in the right communities? Would you help them not to hold anything back, but to bring themselves, bring their hearts, bring their gifts, bring their anointings, to be used by you in these new, new communities? Would you help them to be open to what you have for them, Holy Spirit? And we pray this in the name of the precious Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now give them a high five and sit down. This morning's reading is taken from Psalm 73. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not plagued like other people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues range over the earth. 
Therefore, the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Such are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and I'm punished every morning. If I had said, I will talk on in this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. On awaking, you despise their phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a brute beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Indeed, those who are far from you will perish. You put an end to those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge to tell of all your works. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you haven't got a Bible, that's a long psalm, so check it out when you get home. Uh, And as we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here. Wow. (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) Thank you for your presence here. And I pray that you would keep our hearts open and magnify your presence, even as we turn to your word. Thank you for what you're doing amongst us already. And may it increase in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you weren't here a week ago, We just started a short series, just for a few weeks, uh, before we get into November, looking at, well, the series is called Church Is, and we're just adding some of the things that are not the theology of the church, but the things that uh, I think we just sense the Holy Spirit is stirring up and highlighting within our particular cultural moment right now. Uh, so we're not talking about the church as the body of Christ or, you know, the temple of God or all that sort of stuff, but the, but the things that God is highlighting within right now, uh, the place that we find ourselves in generally in the Western world. And so a week ago, Louise and I were talking about how church is a prophetic community, shining as a light in the world, living Monday to Saturday as salt in the earth, and called to be distinctive and to be different. And what I want to talk about this morning for a few moments is related to this, but one thing that I would say that if I'm talking to the team or if I'm talking to anyone even considering leadership, I would say is the secret to ministry. This is the secret to ministry. 
And if you're not called necessarily to ministry, leadership, or any of that, I think it is the secret to standing and prevailing within the particular cultural moment that we find ourselves in. And I don't know if you really caught the length of that psalm, and it's worth just reading, it's worth really praying through this week, but I'm going to pull out in a few moments what is at the heart of that that illustrates what I'm about to say, and I'm going to fill in the blank at the end on what church is. Okay? So I'm just going to illustrate it a bit like this, and then we'll turn to Psalm 73. There's a race between two athletes. The the first athlete slipped into the arena very quietly, dressed in a simple white attire. A strange light of gladness seemed to shine in his eyes, and his gaze, like tunnel vision, was fixed on something or someone, almost as if someone was beyond the finish line who nobody else could see. As the gun was fired, his race began. Unassuming, yet strong, he accelerated as if carried on wings like eagles, running faster, higher, as if his prize awaited him at the finish line. The second athlete entered the arena late. He seemed fully prepared. His entourage had left nothing to chance. His massage therapist dabbed his brow, continuously soothing core areas. The media department lit up the socials every one of his steps transmitted by live feed. His self-esteem guru repeatedly murmured in his ear the same phrase that quickly caught on in the crowd. I am worthy. I am worthy. The hyper-motivation team whipped the crowd up to a frenzy, thunderously joining in this chant. And disregarding the official start of the race, the athlete focused on the image held up to him by the circle of mirrors held around him. Almost fell over the start line, wheezing and lumbering down the straight before collapsing, not quite finishing. find ourselves, I'm sharing this to equip us, in what should be no surprise in the autumn of 2022, in a society building itself on a foundation without God. And if you build something without God, the very nature of human beings is we have to worship something. So if you go to other parts of the world where there is not the God that we know revealed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, but another um, embodiment, so to speak, they often will turn to that. 
but in a rational, postmodern, scientific, or post-scientific 21st century society, if we remove God from the equation, the only place we can worship is ourselves. When you stand back, it's stunning to think that we project our own faces and our own personal websites. This has not really been done before. You know, in other civilizations, they would make gods out of materials and worship them. But we project these things. We live in an age where you'll hear words like individualism or consumerism. And they don't feel like the sort of foreign gods to war against in the prayer room. Or they don't really have a direct effect on our daily life, so we think. But what they do is they inform how we think and how we feel. So individualism crouches at the door when we walk past somebody in need and think, oh, you know, I don't want to get involved. Or Consumerism lurks in our thinking when we somehow deep inside ourselves think to ourselves, that didn't feel, you know, what, what did I get from that? Or, or, we would never say this, but, you know, if you went back for how was church today? Oh, yeah, I, I found church awesome. And we forget church is never, ever about us. Church is something that God creates as we come and we worship together in the assembly of the firstborn, in the presence of innumerable festival angels, says uh, Hebrews chapter 12. But that is what is being almost drip-fed into the water right now. And for us, if we're to stand in this day and age, then we have to be aware of that. And the secret I've got for you is the antidote to that. Now, if you look at Psalm 73, the first half of this psalm, I mean, this is not not new what we're experiencing in the 21st century, but the first half of this psalm is really a description where you could make connections with our, our society. And very honestly, the writer of Psalm 73 says, I almost lost it. I almost threw it away. And, he, and how did he throw it away? He, he took his focus and he placed it on those who did not live with a captivation, a fascination of God at the centre of their lives. He became envious of the arrogant, verse 3. He saw the prosperity of the wicked... They, they don't have troubles, verse 5. They're not plagued like other people. You know, I'm not giving an economics talk, but, you know, some of us may look enviously at those who are making loads and loads and loads of money at a time where uh, there's such extreme challenge in our country. You know, someone was talking to us today, uh, sorry, this week, about um, children who live in West Sussex, who are turning up to school hungry. That's just wrong. 
on any level. But hey, you know, I can't really do anything about it. You see how individualism kicks in. And can you imagine being a parent where your child left the house and for whatever reason they weren't able to go, at least with something satisfying their tummy, off to go and learn? If God is not bowing your heart down low, then pride has to be exalted. Self-sufficiency, self-reliance. You know, and and he, he's looking at it. There's no check on, on the speech. That's what verses 8 and 9 say. The scoffing and mockery of God. Therefore the people turn and praise the sort of arrogant and proud and, uh, and all of that. And they say, how can God know? Is there any knowledge there? And uh, the writer of this psalm, verse 13, I'm skipping through for the sake of time. You can hear his, his kind of sorrow, but also the kind of, oh my word, what is going on? All in vain have I kept my heart clean, verse 13. And what, I've been trying to live, I've been trying to live, but it's, it's what? What's going on? And, and yet I'm getting hit all day long, I'm plagued. Verse 16, when I thought I had to get my head around, head around this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And then we get to verse 17. And verse 17 is one of those verses that if you're reading through the Bible, you have to pay attention to these. Because in verse 17 you get an until. And then you get a then. And the writer of Psalm 73 is sort of looking on at all this in this sort of godless society, and he's like, oh, da, 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 da. It's, I'm wearied over, I'm, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now that's Old Testament language. The sanctuary is the location of the presence of God in the Old Covenant. So until I went into the temple of worship, the place, the holy place where God's presence was, I was like that, until I went in there. Now you and I live in a different covenant. And we can enter the presence of God any time of day by becoming consciously aware of what he's done and where we live, and where he lives within us. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. And four things happen after the then. Then I perceived their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. <coughs> Suddenly, when he comes into the presence of God, into the sanctuary of God, he realizes, oh my days, you can, be the, you can have all the money on planet earth, but that doesn't keep you secure. You can have all the power and influence and act with such arrogance, but that will not keep you secure. They're destroyed in a moment, swept away, utterly by terrors. If you don't have God and you don't have the bigger story that there's something before the world existed that will carry on way after the world existed, that has come to us in the grace of Jesus then what have you got? Maybe legacy after you die, but even that will, you know, the truth of the Bible is that every kingdom shakes 
apart from the kingdom of God. And this is what he suddenly has his perspective changed. And then he realizes, oh my word, they're just like dreams in the night, phantoms. You know, swept away when one awakes and you think they're not even good dreams. They're here for a moment, gone the next. You know, can you imagine how powerful it seemed, you know, when um, Hitler... Can you, can you imagine being a Christian in 1940, when the Third Reich was almost at its zenith, and the, you know, the power flown across Western Europe um, as, as they were sort of conquering and invading nations? Can you, you know, they, they thought they were, impo- you know, they thought they could do anything, having this race of superhumans, and here we are, you know, nothing. This is the kingdom that we're set in. The first thing is his perspective is restored. And that makes him realize, oh my goodness, verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was just stupid and ignorant. Taking my eyes off God, of you, God, and looking at the world, I was, I was like a brute beast. I was like a dumb donkey. You know, not really understanding anything when I was envious of all those people. You know, we were talking about finances a week ago. It is ludicrous to sacrificially give according to the messaging of the world right now. Batten down the hatches, cost of living, da 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 da. And yet, God's people live with a different story. I was like a brute beast towards you, Lord. And then he finds the grace of God. Nevertheless, even when I was dumb and like a brute beast, nevertheless, You never left me. I might have left you in my thinking and my heart. You never left me. I am continually with you, verse 23. You hold my right hand, guiding me forward. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, at the end of my days, you'll receive me with honor. His perspective changes. He realizes the power and might of the world really is nothing. He realizes the grace of God, the love of God to never leave him and to constantly instruct his heart. And then he cries out in worship, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you imagine what it's like to say there's nothing on earth that I desire other than the Lord? You know, let's just take a personal MOT like about what we desire. You know, we all have desires, don't they? And they stir up in our hearts. But to get to the place with God where we say, there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. It's not even like, there's nothing on earth that beats you. There's nothing on earth that, you know, is, that I'm part of in this story. I swear. There's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. His desire is for the Lord. He's an athlete racing for a prize which is not his own accolade, which is not going to improve his life, which is not going to bring him benefit and blessing. The prize is he gets the Lord. This is why God in the Old Covenant said for those who are priests, they don't get inheritance, they don't get a a portion, because why? Leviticus 
<laughs> tells us this, because the Lord is their portion. Deuteronomy 18.20, I will be their portion. You, you can have this stuff, tie this and do that, but for them, I will be their inheritance. I will be their portion. Does this make sense? And so the thing that I want to say right now in, the, in, the, in what's going on in the, in the world and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church is I think God is releasing such a revelation of the glory of who he is that he wants us to be captivated by him and nothing else. He wants us to be able to say... He wants us to go on a journey with him so that we get to the same place of verse 25 in Psalm 73. So we say, I've checked the heavens, I've checked the earth, there's no one like you, Lord, and there's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. And you can, you can lay out a, a, a temptation for this, you can show me this, you could poo on me like that. You could do this. You could do whatever. But there's nothing I desire other than you. You are my prize. You are my portion. I have so looked into your face and I have decided that everything else is not sufficient to you and your beauty, you and your majesty, you and your splendor, you and your might. And I will give myself in response to who you are to say, let your beauty be seen in my life because I cannot hold back from giving you everything. Now where this fits in the world, in, in the sort of, um, not the world, where this fits in the, the, the trajectory of the Bible is that the Bible promises two things. And I could, t- I could talk longer on this, but the Bible promises two things. The Bible promises that the kingdom of God will expand and grow, and of that there will be no end. Okay, So it, it may start as a mustard seed, but it will grow and increase. But what the Bible also promises in tandem is that the pressure will grow on the earth. And so what you have in the Bible is this promise of an expansive, glorious kingdom and extreme pressure. This is why Jesus takes the time At the end, just before he goes to the cross, he takes the time to say, don't be surprised. There'll be famines, rumours, da-da-da-da-da. Don't be be taken captive by the YouTube reels. Don't be surprised by that, but be ready. And in that context, what happens is there's a revelation of the beauty of God that is being released, that when it's caught, shows itself in the church, those with ears to hear, who give themselves fully from the heart to him. This is why at the marriage feast of the Lamb, it says, the prize is the bridegroom. It's not even a throne. It's not even influence in the new heavens and the new earth. The prize is the bridegroom. And the bride has made herself ready by moving to such a place where the deeds of the bride out of of the mass out of the heart the mass speaks by their fruit shall we know them 
And the bride, in her heart, has responded to the beauty of Jesus and has that shown itself in righteous deeds of making herself ready. So there's an alignment of my heart, which may be seduced by other things, may get tempted to other things, has got to such a place where it's gazed into the beauty of Jesus and it genuinely, all the other things don't satisfy and fall away. And I want, I desire nothing apart from him. This is why the most dangerous place spiritually, and this is the lens Lou and I take ourselves to, the most dangerous place spiritually is earth. Can't be bothered. It's not having someone throw a rock at you. It's not even being arrested and taken to prison. The most dangerous place spiritually is apathy. So how I counteract that, and I I detect it in myself when I I just like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't bother to read a Christian book or can't bother to, I don't know, you apply that. For me, and listen, I'm just trying to make it through. I'm not saying this because I'm amazing. I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying, I, I have known the Lord so much that when I come to my senses and I go into the sanctuary of God, I, I just, like, it, I can't cope with becoming apathetic because it's just, a, you know, it's, it's the worst place. And so for me, if, I, if that's entering my heart, I get on the fasting, I get on the prayer, I get up in early in the morning, I get to the secret place with the Lord until my heart comes back to verse 25. There's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. I've searched the heavens, I've searched Netflix, I've searched this, da 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 da. Doesn't bring, doesn't bring me you. Doesn't bring me you. You know, uh, someone asked John Wesley, what's the secret to your ministry? And John Wesley said, I go to the secret place, I pray until my heart burns, and then I go to minister, and the world comes to watch me burn. And not all of us are going to preach like John Wesley, but all of us serve the Lord in our daily lives. All of us are, are going to go and clean or we're going to go and open a laptop in the team or you know run our households and to burn like John Wesley the former steps are I go to the secret place I pray until I start burning again and then I'm ready to go and minister and I just think you know uh, I can't remember who we're talking to here's the team or somebody we're just saying, we, we just, we, we cannot fit Jesus into the lifestyle that I've organized. We just cannot. You know, we're told by our culture in a consumeristic age, you can have everything. It's a lie. We can't. You cannot burn with passion for Jesus and not invest time. You just can't. 
And if you're not investing in the secret place and finding, it, like I was saying to the young adults, I was saying, how, how do you have time with God? Like there are some principles, but you just got to have time with God because each of us have to develop our own face-to-face time with him, how, how we relate. So you're not trying to do it like Bella or you're not trying to do it like Saskia. It has to be you and go with God. And the Bible promises if you draw near to God, book of James, he will draw near to you. Does this make sense? What does he say? Verse 28, when all is said and done, but for me, it is good to be near God. It's like, David says it, doesn't he? I think Psalm 84, he says, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be on the welcome team in the house of God than anywhere else. He doesn't say, I want to be in Steve Tebb's band because that looks really fun. And you know they have those little huddles beforehand. It just looks awesome. I'd like to be right in the middle there. No, David says, I'll give out the leaflets. I'll serve the, I just want to be near you. Because he's the prize. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And that's where it flows from. To tell of all your works. To tell of all your works. Then we're burning. And then, then it's easy to tell people. <laughs> the church is, or let, let me, the secret to ministry is living captivated, taken captive by the beauty of Jesus. That's the, it's an utter secret. You know, you can apply that through any biblical character, but ultimately our model is Jesus, captivated by the Father. That's how he was led you know, with peace to the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. Because the Father's the prize for Jesus. Captivated by Jesus. And then, then we step into what the church is meant to be. Because the church is always a secondary outflow. The church is a holy people. Because when you're captivated by Jesus, your face looks into his face, and then he downloads his character and his nature and all the fruits of his spirit and all the power and authority and gifting that we need when we're captivated by Jesus. You can take any online seminar on how to serve the Lord well, how to walk in fire, da-da-da-da-da. If you are captivated by Jesus, he will look after the rest. Jesus says it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom. And the kingdom isn't just a thing disconnected from Jesus, because he's at the center of it. (laughs) Seek first the kingdom, which has a reigning king. And all else will be added unto you. Church is a holy people. I'm going to finish with these verses uh, from 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, set apart for the Lord, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church is a holy people that flows from being captivated by Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.